0: You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Immediately, the words of Jesus appeared in his mind. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it certainly has happened to me several occasions that as I'm, you know, in the, the midst of something, the word of God is suddenly there. It's present in my mind. The word of God convicting, the word of God drawing me to brokenness, to realize that (laughs) I've failed, I've erred. Peter was in that moment of brokenness. His conscience is pierced through by the pain of his sin, his selfishness, his cowardice. And it overwhelms him at this moment, and it causes him to burst into tears. The the word there is to throw. He throws himself into tears at that moment. We can feel his emotion. We can identify with Peter, for we have, all of us, everyone, felt that painful realization of our sin being brought home in our hearts. It's not a fun moment. It's not a fun experience. This morning I want to give a couple of points of application. What can we apply to our lives from Peter's experience? And I just want to suggest two things to you. There's probably more here that you could delve into and pull out for yourself. But I want us to leave this morning with at least these two points of application. First of all, our most heinous sin does not change our relationship to Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. Our most heinous sin does not change our relationship to Jesus Christ. Now let me explain that. In spite of how deeply Peter sinned against the Lord, it was not a surprise to Jesus. Jesus was not appalled. Jesus did not step back and say, you just denied me under oath, Peter? we can no longer associate with one another. But rather, we see that Jesus knew that this was going to happen. He had remarked only hours before that he knew Peter couldn't fulfill his own good intentions. Jesus knew that the Spirit was willing, but Peter's flesh was weak. This is a comfort to us as sinners who, although our spirits are willing, it is so often our own flesh which has its way. Although I can surprise myself at times with how little moral courage I have, how easily I give in to my sinful nature, it's never a surprise to Jesus. And it doesn't cause Him to change our relationship. Now, I would like to also... Add this to this because I believe that today in our culture, we have almost in the Christian church swung too far to where God's grace has become cheap and people believe that we're allowed to live the lifestyle that we want and God accepts us just the way we are. Listen, there is a point at which God's grace becomes so cheap. It's no longer God's grace. So let me add this, that God accepts every sinner for being sinners he loves every sinner but he doesn't love our sin he's never okay with our sin and a sinful lifestyle will never be okay with the lord and so the way i like to put it is that the lord jesus he steps into our lives he rescues us just as we are but he doesn't ever keep us just as we are <laughs> You see, God's grace, if we truly understand God's grace, it's a motivator to begin to grow spiritually, to begin to follow Jesus, to begin to desire that closeness and relationship with him that comes through obedience. And so I I, I couple that by saying this, but, but I do want us to see that and to understand this today. That just because Peter called down a divine curse upon himself And and backed away from knowing Jesus. Even that most heinous of crimes didn't change the way that Jesus viewed Peter. Nothing changed. Jesus wasn't surprised. He wasn't appalled. He wasn't shocked or ashamed of him. Therefore, this is a healing balm to our troubled conscience today. To realize that Jesus knows our most evil side He knows the deepest, darkest part of you and I, and yet he chooses to love us anyway. Even the most heinous of our sins doesn't change the relationship that we have to Jesus. Now, if that doesn't amaze you, then I would suggest that you have not yet thought this through well enough, (laughs) that you have not yet considered the depth of what Peter is doing here and what he has done. And, and, and you have not yet studied guys like Paul, the apostle, or David, King David of the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart, committed murder and lying and was an adulterer. And yet the Lord loved that man and restored him. Although he was never the same, but God nonetheless restored that man And loved him to the end. It's an amazing truth of scripture. The truth of the matter is that you and I, we both identify with Peter in this story. You and I have both denied our Lord Jesus on different levels, at different times, and in many ways. Yet in spite of this, Jesus still loves us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us, and the verse will be on the screen, but God demonstrates his own love. Or in other words, God proves his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you've ever doubted the love of Jesus Christ in your life, man, we need to write that verse down. We need to memorize that verse. We need to underline it. We need to study it. Because That's connected to the truths there in Romans. And the truth of Romans is that the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, is that all who would believe the good news receive the righteousness of God and are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's too good to be true. It's amazing. It's amazing grace. God has chosen to love us through Christ in spite of our sinful condition. Proof that love has come to us in the form of Jesus dying for us. And all of this is after the fact that he knows we're going to fail him. This is all after the fact that Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him and call down an oath from heaven upon his own head. It really is amazing grace, and it should never cease to amaze us, church. We should constantly be amazed at the patience and the love and the depth of God's relationship towards us. Secondly, second point of application this morning is that Jesus desires to restore sinners. In fact, he goes out of his way to restore Peter John's gospel records for us the specific way in which Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, came and restored Peter. I'll read it to you. It says that when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon son of Jonah, I'm sorry, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? Why do you think Peter was grieved? Because he knew what Jesus was doing here. Jesus was painfully taking him through the process of restoration. And restoration meant facing his failure. Restoration meant looking back into the past, realizing how seriously he had failed three times and accepting that and bringing that back in and making that a part of himself. It's called integrity. It's an integrated man that Jesus is looking to heal here. He's looking to restore Peter in, 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 in his wholeness. And part of being whole meant that Peter had to look at the past and accept his failure. And accept that that was a part of him. It was a part of his life. And I believe that's a principle that all of us here today need to understand. Jesus looks to restore us, but he looks to do that in such a way that we are made whole. That we are integrated people, completely healed by His grace, by the power of the gospel. And what is beautiful about this is that we see the Lord's heart. And by implication, not just for Peter, but for you this morning. We see the Lord's heart for you. We see how Jesus Christ loves you so much that he's not willing to just sweep your sin under the carpet and not talk about it and just go his way. But as we have all discovered, those of us that are true children, we've discovered that the hand of a father, a loving father, is a hand that also causes us to, be con- to confront our sin. To confront the wrong that we have done. And to face it. So that we might be Restored. I pray that this gospel truth, this good news, will fill you with hope this morning, will fill you with wonder and love for Jesus Christ, just like it did for Peter. (laughs) Peter realized something in this moment. Yes, it was painful. He was grieving that the Lord had to ask him three different times. And yet when it was over, there was a newness. There was a restoration, there was a a, a bridge between him and that relationship again, and he knew that he'd been restored, and he was on fire. His life changed forever. And guys, that is the process for you and me. You see, Jesus, because he loves you so much, he can't just let you go on living in sin or go on living without that reconciliation or restoration, He desires to bring it about, and he does it in his own ways. And listen, it's not always easy, guys. It's not always easy. It's a painful process. It causes grief. But it is oh so necessary, and it is always connected to the heart of our Father, which is a heart of love. We're going to begin chapter 15 this morning. I have a couple more points, and then we're going to get into the Lord's Supper as we end today, and so just some extended time of worship. But we read in chapter 15, verse 1, "...immediately that in the morning the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing?" See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. So Pilate is recognizing something about Jesus here. Pilate is recognizing through the course of this trial that Jesus is not like most of the other criminals, if not all of the other criminals that have stood before him in his court. You see, Jesus, instead of vehemently defending himself, and calling out liar and putting the defense back on their heels and making them retreat. No, Jesus is standing there. He's listening. He's calm. He's collected. He's cool. He's different. Verse 6. Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels They had committed murder in the rebellion. This man, Barabbas, then, is a convicted murderer. Okay, let's all note that as we move forward in our story. We're going to talk some more about him in just a minute. Verse 8. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. So Pilate has basically figured out at this time that Jesus is an innocent man. He's being tried because of envy here. It's the Sanhedrin, that, that, that council of Jewish leadership that is putting him on trial. And they have a problem with him. And what is their problem? Well, Jesus refuses to play their game. He refuses to go along with them. And on top of that, Jesus tells them the truth about themselves, and the truth hurts. How many of you guys have ever heard the truth, and it hurt? <laughs> you know what I mean. The truth hurts. It cuts like a knife when we hear it about ourselves. I was just recently uh, made aware that I need to work on being a little bit more friendly, <laughs> that I can walk around with a serious face sometimes, and, and that truth, meant it cut me it hurts. It's something that's true about me, and I know it. i got to work on that. When we hear something true about ourselves, it hurts. But we have got to learn to receive those truths, or else we'll end up like the Sanhedrin. Bitter, envious, backbiters. People that are, are, are just looking to, for, to you know, crucify those that are free. Those that are loving the Lord with all of their heart. And so it's something we need to uh, realize about the Sanhedrin here. In John's, and then we also see that, uh, okay, I'm I'm sorry, I got off my notes. Let me get back to this. Talking about Pilate here. Pilate has figured out that Jesus is an innocent man. In fact, in the book of John, John's gospel, he, uh, a couple of different times, says that I don't find any fault with this guy. I don't find any fault with Jesus. And yet, it seems that Pilate, like Peter, is lacking moral courage to stand up for what is right and to allow this innocent man to go. So all of this, of course, is part of God's plan. We realize that. But that doesn't excuse Pilate of his own moral responsibility, to do what was right in this situation. Let's continue on in verse 11, where we see some other guilty parties. The chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he could rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him, whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. So very quickly, let's look at all of the different people groups or persons that are in this story, in this remarkable story. You have Peter. Peter has denied his Lord in a very serious way way on a personal, social and spiritual level, three different levels Peter has denied his lord. Secondly, you have the Sanhedrin, the council that's overcome with bitterness and hatred of Jesus because he doesn't play their game and he tells them the truth about themselves. You've got Pilate, a governor who lacks the moral courage to do what's right, to set an innocent man free. And you have a crowd of people. Let's not forget them. This crowd of people have allowed themselves to be manipulated by the fake news of the Sanhedrin. (laughs) If we might use a term that's relevant to today. This crowd is concerned with being entertained and appeased more than they are concerned with what is really right and wrong. And if I might just interject something into the message this morning, I would just say that we need to be careful living in today's day and age, because we have a tendency, and I'm guilty of this as anyone, to be manipulated, to have the facts being manipulated in such a way and put a spin on that we get into some pretty uh, hyped-up, frenzied, mob-type mentalities, and we need to be careful. We need to be careful. We need to realize that not everything that you see on the internet is true. And especially for those of us that are participating in social media, like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and um, Snapchat and all of those little things. There's probably 10 things that they have that I didn't list. But when you are involved in that kind of social media, be very careful that you don't become one of those mob frenzy people that's caught up in, you know, a cause that's not necessarily based on facts. We need to be very careful about that. We see that the crowd is always going to be manipulated when they're not concerned with what's really right and wrong. Okay, When they're just concerned with being appeased and entertained. So we need to be careful that as Christians, we don't fall into that crowd of people that is, can be so easily manipulated by various sources. And different things. And you know what guys, I'll tell you what, it's getting so hard these days to verify things and to know what is really true out there. But we need to be very careful. We do need to be very careful about uh, what we're reading, uh, what we're taking in as truth. And and, and just really doing our due diligence to research that and to recognize that there's a lot of spin Put, being put on stuff, and you know, I'm not going to get into specifics this morning, but we just need to be careful; otherwise, we'll end up like this crowd that was actually guilty of crucifying our Lord and Savior. Fifthly, we have Barabbas, who's a guilty murderer, and this man has actually been freed. And then the last person that we see there is Jesus, and and I want. I went through all of these groups because I want you to see how he stands out in contrast to everybody else around him. And this is why I believe that at this point, it's not, it's not Jesus that's on trial here, but it's actually all these other people that are actually on trial. And Jesus, the Savior of the world, the perfect Son of God, he's the one who's in control. He never gives in to his flesh once in this moment. And he stands out in stark contrast. In every other person's case, we see the clear corruption of their nature because of sin. It is what marks every human being, even you and me here today. Yet, in stark contrast to our sinful nature and our lack of moral courage, we see the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He is different. He is without sin and he's prepared to die for your sins so that you and I can be forgiven and set free. It says there in verse 15 that Pilate delivered him to be scourged, whipped, and then crucified. That Roman scourge or that Roman whip that they're referring to here, it was a whip of several long leather strands that would be embedded with glass and metal and and pieces of lead and that, that whip would have literally torn Jesus Christ's back to shreds that day. And Peter writes that it is by those stripes that we're healed today, that it was his life for yours. Let me read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 20 through 24. Peter, who's, who's probably the, the, the mind behind the gospel of Mark, we believe, he penned these words about. Jesus, in his letter, he said, "...for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, then, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously." Who, bore, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus was scourged for your sins. Jesus bore our sins on himself so that we could be healed. He did that so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness. In closing this morning, I would like to relate this story to you through Barabbas' eyes, which is actually the title of our message this morning, through Barabbas' eyes. And I want you to see Barabbas, a man who's guilty, convicted of murder. He's locked away in his dungeon cell. And he can tell that there's a crowd assembled outside in that courtyard because he can hear the ruckus, he can hear the noise. And as the course of the proceedings goes along, he begins to hear them chanting his own name. Now imagine that, a prisoner, guilty of murder, locked away in your cell, and a crowd is chanting, Barabbas, 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 or however they said his name. And you begin to hear, what's that about? (laughs) That doesn't sound good. And then the next thing that Barabbas hears as he's in his cell is crucify him. The crowd begins to chant, crucify him, crucify him. And at this point, I'm sure his spirits have dropped. The guards show up. They bring him from his cell. They walk him out into that courtyard. And they let him go. Now I wonder, if Barabbas looked over and sees Jesus Christ? The man that the guards take into custody at this point. And deliver him over to be scourged and crucified. While Barabbas walks free. I wonder what was going through his mind at that point. I wonder if he was curious about that incident. I wonder if he questioned why it was that he had been set free. When he heard the crowd chanting his name. And the words crucify him. I wonder if that act of grace. Someone taking his place. And he, a murderer, going free. I wonder if that act of grace touched his heart. I wonder if he ever thought about that. Why an innocent man would be delivered up to die in his place. The question today is, has your heart been touched by the amazing grace of God? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger. The king of glory. The king above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning realizing that the feeling and emotion of Barabbas can really be interchanged with what we can also feel upon recognizing that you took our place and bore our sins and shame and guilt on the cross. Lord Jesus, that your back was striped By that Roman scourge. So that I could be healed. So that I could be set free from the sickness of sin. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you would sink this amazing gospel truth. The good news of Jesus Christ in all of our hearts. And it would set us free, Lord it would set us free to serve You like we've never done before. Because You surely are worthy, Lord Jesus. We love You. With our eyes closed and heads bowed this morning, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I would ask, first of all, for those of you that are believers here this morning to be examining your own lives and confessing your sins to the Lord and, and just realizing that we're about to Remember what Jesus has done for us by partaking of the supper, the broken bread, the cup that represents his blood. And just be thanking the Lord that we can find forgiveness, that we have been forgiven. There is no sin so heinous that it would change our relationship with him. He truly loves you. So reflect on that. If you're here this morning, though, and you're not a believer... You have not understood that God loves you, that his heart is for you. I pray that this moment would be the moment of realization for you. That you would understand that God is for you, he's not against you. That God seeks to restore you as a person, integrated, your whole self. He wants to heal you, he wants to take the past, and he wants to restore you. So that you are a whole person body, mind, and spirit, that God would be able to be glorified in your heart and your life this morning. And so if you're that person, I would just encourage you to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, to believe the good news. That's what I'm talking about, believing the good news. And so if that's you, and you would like to Uh, invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, which He's all of our Lord, whether we invite Him to be or not. But if you would like to ask Him to forgive you and put Him in His place this morning, pray with me right now in your heart.